Good morning. If you take your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Last week I began a new series of messages called I Am a Church Member in which we're talking about what does it mean to be a healthy part of the body of Christ, a healthy part of a church. One of the things that we experience along the way is sometimes people have been burned in church. They've had bad experiences in church. Sometimes people don't know exactly how to be a contributing part of their church. And so we want to spend a few weeks in talking about what it means to be a healthy part of a congregation. Whenever you become a believer in Christ, whenever you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and He's your Savior and you place your faith in Christ, within our tradition, we we invite you then to become a member of the church. And there's actually three ways that you enter into membership. The first is through believer's baptism. Now, that's something different than infant baptism. In some traditions, they baptize babies. We baptize people when they themselves make that commitment to Christ as a believer in Christ. And so uh, whenever you're baptized, you are identifying with Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And upon someone's baptism, they become a member of the church. Now, sometimes people relocate from a different city or whatever, and so they do a membership transfer. And in Baptist life, we call that coming by letter. You're already a part of a church that's very similar to ours, and, and so uh, you come by letter. Back in the old days, whenever you left the town, they actually gave you a church letter, and you would ride on horseback to the new church, and you would give them your letter. And then sometimes people say, well, the church that I came from, maybe they didn't practice membership, or uh, maybe it burned down, or I, I can't remember what it was because I was so young or whatever, but I have been saved, and I've been baptized, and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and we can take you to be a member of the church based on what's called statement. We take you at your word. We figure if you're going to lie about being saved and baptized, uh, you need to be here anyway. So, uh, you know, we'll take you by statement. Don't lie about being saved and baptized, okay? Some things just it's just bad to do that, okay? That's one of them, okay? But uh, a member, what does it mean to be a healthy part of of a church. I was smelling that brisket as I walked up to church today. To the vegetarians this morning, I, I just apologize, you know. You know, it is what it is, but uh, uh, you know, I was smelling that brisket. You know, brisket is not an easy meat to cook. Uh, it has two different muscle grades, and they go different directions, and you have the point, and you have the flat, and the point has a lot of fat in it, and the point's very lean, and in order to get the point correct, it often dries out the flat, and so these guys, they've been working so hard at it. They've been using indirect heat, and they've been smoking it like all night long, going at it. Paul, you made a brisket, and you know, you, I can smell you from here, the smoke's within you, you know. You know, he just talks and smoke comes out of his, comes out of his mouth. It's like those, I better not go there. But, uh, you know, I mean, they've been working really hard. And, and I found that a lot of times, I mean, you've got to know what you're doing to make a good brisket. And I found a lot of times people, they, they want to be a good part of the church, but they just don't know. I mean, they don't know. Uh, it's, it's like they're a vegetarian cooking brisket on propane on high heat. I mean, they just don't know exactly what am I supposed to do, what am I not supposed to do. I, I want to be a healthy part of the church, but I just don't know exactly how. And so normally in my preaching, I go through books of the Bible. I go through sections of Scripture. We're going to do more of a topical type series here. Should be in this series about seven weeks 
weeks. This is week two. Uh, Last week we talked about what it means to be a functioning member of the church. Today we're going to talk about being a unifying member of the church. We do have some copies of Tom Rainer's book, I Am a Church Member, uh, that are available at the Crossroads. We paid $5 for them and we're selling them to you for $5. Uh, fair enough. And uh, you can pick up a copy of that book. If you're an ebook reader, it's also available online for you to download as well. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever wondered what was going through Jesus' mind right before the cross? Right before he's arrested, right before the passion events take place, what is it that's on his mind? Well, in John 17, Jesus prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And then he prays for believers. He literally prays for you and me, those that will believe. And and notice what he prays for. In verse 20, he says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. That's you and me. Verse 21, may they all be one of all the things that Jesus could have had on his mind, all the things that he could have prayed for just before the cross, He prays that you and I, that his church might be united, that we would be one. Jesus prayed that we would be one in family because as believers, we become a part of the family. Rachel Packabush in her prayer in the last service pointed out that uh, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are blood kin. We share the blood of Christ. We share in the blood of Christ. Well, Jesus prayed this in verse 21. He said, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us. In other words, Lord, may they be a part of the family so the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. Jesus prayed that we might be one in family. Now let me ask you this question. Whether this is the first time you've ever been here or whether you've been here for all your life, how did you come to Murphy Church? How did you wind up in the seat today? Uh, Just go, if you're sitting by someone, just share with them real quickly how you came to Murphy Church, okay? Just go ahead and, and, and talk. Well, I was driving down the road, and I saw smoke, and smelled like brisket, so the car just kind of did this, and I wound up here. All right, you can quit talking now. All right, come on back here. Time to resume your normal sermon duties of checking your email and things like that, okay? Um, (laughs) My point here, we come from, better move on, we come from a lot of different backgrounds. In our church, we're multi-generational, multinational, we have people from different parts of the world, uh, people come from different economic uh, levels, different denominational backgrounds. We just have a lot of differences. And yet God has brought us together as one. As a church, we are, we are a family. In fact, our logo, you see the mosaic and how there's different pieces and different shapes to the mosaic. And yet we're all united around the cross because that is our central, it's, it's our unifying thing, the, the cross of Jesus Christ. And I think it's important to remember that even though we have different gifts and backgrounds and perspectives, that we have one God. 
We have one Savior. We have one Lord. And we are one family. And Jesus used this family imagery throughout a lot of his teachings. And families have to stick together. Families go through ups and downs together. You ever been through ups and downs in your family? Families sometimes disagree. Families sometimes have a crazy Aunt Sally. Okay? But families stick together. They have a love for one another that's unconditional. And they can't just abandon family because you're in it together. And Jesus prayed that we would be one in family. He also prayed that we would be one in message. He says in verse 23, I am in them and you are in me. May they be completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me. And I have loved them as you have loved me. Have you ever gone through a small Texas town? Maybe you're out in East Texas, West Texas, up a little bit north. And you go through one of these towns that has about a thousand people in it. And you notice that there's like 20 Baptist churches in that one town. You ever had that experience? It's like, man, this is incredible. We have over here Live Oak Baptist Church, and it's right next to Dead Oak Baptist Church. And you have a First Baptist Church, and you have First Baptist Church 2.0, and, and you have New Hope Church, and you have Dead Hope Church, and you have all these different churches in this little bitty town, and you think to yourself, why are there 20 Baptist churches in a town of a 1,000? How did they all get here? Man, some people in this town must have had some great vision. And so you start talking to the people in the town, and you say, man, where did all these churches come from? Well, that church used to be a part of this church, and then this church used to be a part of this church, and then they got in a fight, Back in, when was it? 1984. And then this church over here started, and they got in trouble. And so they, and, and you find out really all those 20 churches, they all kind of like started from the same church. And they've, been, they've just been multiplying through division. Uh, God's plan for new churches has never been division. We're to plant churches by vision, not division. But what you find is that people get divided because they start having different preferences and different thoughts, and this is what I think we should do. No, this is what I think we should do. And we start moving, we, we start centering around our preferences instead of remembering that we are all called to the same message. We have to be unified in the message of Jesus Christ. Now here at Murphy Road, we exist to lead people to worship, grow in, and serve God through lives changed by the power of the gospel. As a church, we believe that people matter to God. And because they matter to God, they should matter to us as well. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. We have to love the people within our church. We have to love our God. And we have to be willing to love others as well. In fact, much of the the meat of the New Testament is loving God, loving one another, and loving others. People matter to God, and because they matter to God, they matter to us as well. As a church, we want to make disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Well, what does a disciple do? What does a disciple look like? Well, a disciple worships. Disciple understands that life does not revolve around him or her, that your life is supposed to revolve around God, that worship becomes that unifying principle in your life that you take into every area of your life. So in your marriage, in your parenting, in your work, in your community, whatever it is that you're doing, you're wanting to glorify God because you're a worshiper. 
a disciple grows. A disciple realizes that we'll always be learning more about the Word of God and studying and learning the Scriptures and learning theology. A disciple realizes that life is not lived on an island by yourself, and so you connect to other people uh, because you want to have friendships and you want to have relationships. Jesus said, teach one another to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so we have to be connected to other people so that we might live life together. A disciple serves. Serving God is not just an extracurricular activity within Christianity. A a true disciple is worshiping, they are growing, and then what God is doing in your life is overflowing the boundaries of your life so that you're reaching out to other people as well. And our lives as a church are being transformed by the power of the gospel. I say this frequently, and I'll continue saying it. Uh, We do not preach behavior modification. We do not preach self-help with a twist of Jesus. We preach gospel transformation, that Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done, transforms our soul, it transforms our heart, and then whenever our hearts are transformed, our behavior is transformed, our attitude is changed, our families are changed, our marriages are healed, it changes the way that we live our life when the gospel takes root within our heart. That is our message That's how we organize ourselves. That's what unifies us. We have different preferences, different ideas, sometimes different nuances in theology. But if we're ever going to be unified, we have to be able to come together in this basic idea that we exist to lead people to worship, grow in, and serve God through a life that is being transformed by the power of the gospel. Now, Jesus also prayed that we might be one in hope. In verse 24, he says, Father, I desire those you have given me to be with me where I, am, where I am, and then they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. I could never be an atheist. And you say, boy, that's shocking. Baptist preacher says he can never be an atheist. Let me tweet that real quick, okay? I know that's not a shocking statement for me to make. But even if I were not a Christian. I couldn't be a secularist. I couldn't be an atheist. And the reason why is this, because secularism is lacking in hope. All you have is this world. You live and you die, and through the course of life, you try to squeeze out a few happy moments. And if you really break it down, uh, secularism tied to empiricism. And and so you have the idea of cause and effect, and essentially all your effects are the result of causes. And so you're kind of caught up in the system that is bigger than you. And yeah, you try to squeeze out a few happy moments and learn from the past, but you have no guarantee of tomorrow, and there really is nothing beyond uh, the grave. And so whenever you die, it's all over, and you just live on in other people's memories. But by two generations, they don't even remember that you lived. So it's really kind of depressing and nihilistic and I just could not be an atheist. I'd make a horrible atheist. I'd be depressed all the time. But in Christianity, uh, we have something called hope. I think it's probably the most underdeveloped doctrine in Christianity. We don't talk enough about it. The fact that it's not just a happy ending to the story. Oh, yeah, we get heaven in the end. But hope is, is an essential part of what it means to be a Christian in this world where there is so much evil 
we have hope that God is sovereign, that he can handle the things that we cannot handle, and that he's coming again to bring righteousness to an unrighteous world. That's huge whenever you start mulling over things like theodicy and and how is God going to deal with the sufferings and the evils of this world. In Christianity, we have hope hope. And there is more than just what we have in this temporal world. There's more than just today, but there is life eternal with God. Instead of living life purely within the law, we have grace. Instead of condemnation, we have forgiveness. Instead of death, we have life. And this hope is what unifies us. It's one of the things that Jesus prayed that we might live together with this one hope as a family who is unified. Tom Rayner writes, You have a responsibility as a church member. You are to be a source of unity. You are never to be a divisive force. You are to love your fellow church members unconditionally. And while that doesn't mean you agree with everyone all the time. doesn't mean we agree with everyone all the time. It does mean that you are willing to sacrifice your own preferences to keep unity in your church. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, the Bible says, Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another, and forgiving one another. Is that the attitude that you bring into your church? Whenever you come into your church, do you have heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience? Do you accept one another and forgive one another? And by the way, everything that I'm saying today about being a unified family in the church, it also applies to your own home. It also applies to your marriage. Are you going to have a unified home? Are you going to have a unified marriage? If you're part of a team, working with others, are you going to be unified in that? Colossians says we should have this compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, accept one another, forgive one another. If we have complaint against one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so so you must also forgive. A forgiving spirit. He ends the passage saying these words, above all, okay, top priority here, put on love. And then he gives us a descriptor. What does it look like for us to put on love? When we put on love, we have the perfect bond of unity. Unity is essential for our church to make any difference in the community around us. We have to be together. We have to have unity in Jesus Christ. What are the biggest enemies of unity? Let me talk about three enemies of unity. The first is gossip. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible describes gossip as an unrighteous act. It tears other people down. Whenever we gossip, we're talking about things that are none of our business God hasn't given you authority over that area. It's not within your realm of responsibility, and yet you're choosing to talk about that subject or about that person. You're talking about things that really don't belong to you. They're none of your business. Whenever we gossip, uh, we, we have to realize we don't have the whole story. 
We have our perspective. We have what we heard. And so then we take that news and we run over here and we talk to this person. And we talk to this person. And rarely do we have the whole story. Sometimes I hear people, well, they've been saying this and saying this. And you're like, man, they don't even know, they don't even know half of reality here. You wish you could fill them in on everything, but that's not your business to fill them in on everything either. But whenever we start gossiping, we're usually talking about things that we don't know the complete picture of. Gossip hurts people. You ever had someone gossip about you? Say things that are just not true? Anybody ever had gossip about you? One person, a little boy. Man, the rest of you are like, perfect. That's incredible. I just need to stop the sermon, don't I? Okay, go home. Y'all are great. You're squeaky clean. Of course you've had someone say things about you that you never said or talk down about you. It hurts. It stings. Why would they say that? Why, why would they do They don't even know me. They, they didn't even talk to me about this. Gossip usually is driving some type of selfish agenda. There's something that you're after, and you're not willing to articulate it. And so you mask that selfishness with gossip. Whenever we gossip about people, it tears other people down in order to make us look better. There was a group of people in the New Testament that always were trying to put other people down in order to make themselves look better. They were called the Pharisees. Gossip doesn't bring unity to a church. Gossip divides a church. Now, when you hear someone gossiping in church life, it's like a fire. It's just sitting there burning. And then you have to decide, okay, How am I going to respond to that gossip? Am I going to be fire, or gasoline, I should say, or water? What am I going to pour on the fire? Am I going to pour gasoline on the fire? The gossip just goes like wildfire. Or am I going to pour water on the fire and try to put it out? What are you going to do whenever someone starts gossiping? Are you going to be gasoline, or are you going to be water? Now, one of the greatest questions that you can ask when someone starts trying to back up the dump truck and pour all the junk into your ear, is you can ask that person, well, what did they say whenever you talked to them about this? Nine out of ten times, people will say, well, I've never talked to them about this. I I don't want to talk to them about it. I I don't know how it would be. Well, you know what? It's a lot easier to talk about somebody than it is to talk to somebody. And the scriptures taught us that we should settle matters quickly while on the way so that they don't turn into something that just grows bigger and bigger and bigger. We need to talk to people. Throughout my life, there's been some times where, you know, I had a misunderstanding with somebody. I I didn't, I butted heads with them. And, you know, I I would be having thoughts and feelings that I didn't like. And sometimes we just stopped and we, we finally talked about it. And I found that when you just talk to somebody, and, and you do it calmly and lovingly, uh, it may not solve all the problem. I mean, you may not walk away uh, buddies, but you walk away with a new perspective. Often it heals the anger, and it, it just drains that selfishness out of you because you realize, you know, there's a lot more there than, than I thought there was. Talk to people instead of about them. Let's, uh, let's, let's don't be a gossiping congregation. This is a healthy place. This is a really cool place. Let's protect it. You hear gossip, uh, pour water on it. Don't pour gasoline on it. Someone tries to call you over into a holy huddle. Hey, 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 hey. Someone that says, hey, let's go to coffee so that I can tell you about my selfish agenda. Pour water on the, ga- on the fire of gossip instead of gasoline on it. A second thing that tears apart unity 
is vision vandalism. Vision vandalism. Now, repeat after me, and I promise I'm not selling you anything or tricking you into anything right now, okay? I'm not going to repeat until I hear what he's going to say, okay? Just repeat after me. If I try to do something for God, I will be criticized. (laughs) You want to become a criticized person, you just go do something. Somebody will be there to criticize you. You get active. You try to let your life make a difference. There will be people out there ready to criticize you. It's not right. It hurts. It stings. But Jesus said, expect it. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11, he says, You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice. Did he really say that? Be glad and rejoice whenever they insult me and say things that aren't true. He said, yes, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. You're not doing what you're doing for God so that people can clap for you. You're doing that so that you gain the approval of your heavenly Father and your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All through the Bible. You find people trying to do things for God and other people being vision vandalizers, taking out that bottle of spray paint, spraying graffiti all over God's vision. It's all through the scriptures. Noah gets the vision to build the ark. God says, build an ark. And people ridicule him. He's isolated. All the while, he's trying to do the work of God. Abraham and Sarah, they had gone to a land that God was going to show them. In that culture in which they, grew, they were living, uh, it was considered a curse if you didn't have children. And people tore them down and made fun of them because of their infertility, even though they were doing the work of God. Joseph, incredible young man, sold into slavery by his brothers, lands on his feet there in Egypt, gets a great job working in Potiphar's house, is accused of rape and thrown into jail. I think of Moses, the great liberator. One of the greatest liberators in history is Moses. He comes in and he leads this group of people, a couple million people, out of slavery. They are marching out of Egypt. Now, you would think that everybody would be like, yeah, Moses, you're the greatest guy ever. You led us out of slavery. We will follow you wherever you go. And yet the Bible says that the people were a stiff-necked people, that they were whining and complaining all the way. I think of Ruth, beautiful young woman, widowed as a, as a young lady. Her, she, uh, she has to leave her land. She has to endure famine. But God was leading her and using her to be one of the great-grandmothers of Jesus. I think of Esther, this, this, this young queen uh, living a, a life of luxury, and then she finds her people lied about, and she finds her people condemned, and she has to uh, summon up great courage to go and face the king and ask the king to show favor to her people. I think of the young man, David, who slew the Goliath, slew the giant Goliath, and then he is hunted by the king like a wild animal. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into the fiery furnace for their faith in God. I think of Daniel who was thrown into the lion's den for his prayer life. I think of Elijah who is 
persecuted by the evil queen Jezebel. I think of Jeremiah, this man who spoke the word of God. He spoke the truth, and yet he's called the weeping prophet because he's persecuted, he's thrown into a cistern, he is he's beaten for his faith in Jesus Christ, or his faith in God. Jesus proved that you can walk on water, and you can heal the blind, and there's still going to be some people out there that want to crucify you. If you want to be criticized, just do something because there are people in your life, there are people all around who want to just spray graffiti on God's vision for your life. But I believe that God has a vision for your life. I believe there's things that God wants to do in you and through you. And I want to encourage you, don't get sidetracked by the vision vandals. Sometimes they have some sound wisdom. Sometimes they have some guidance, but don't let them sidetrack you. And if you're that individual that's constantly just every, everything that people are trying to do from, for God, you're nitpicking it and you're vandalizing it, stop it. Just stop it. Be an encourager, not a discourager. I understand. You can be analytical. I, I, I struggle with this sometimes. I'm pretty analytical and somebody will come to me with an idea and I'm like, yeah, I like this. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't. And I'm not talking about not using wisdom, but I'm saying, hey, don't have that spirit of discouragement about you. That every time somebody comes up with an idea, you're just knocking it down. Be an encourager. You have one life to live on this earth. Are you going to live it as an encourager? Or are you going to be a discourager? Are you going to be that individual that nobody really wants to be around because you're always knocking them down? Are you going to be that individual that really helps others to live the dreams that God has given them to live? A third enemy of unity, and then I'll be through, is unforgiveness. Everyone in here is imperfect. You get 500 people, and you put them underneath one steeple, and I guarantee you there's going to be times where we get our feelings hurt. There's going to be times where people do things, say things that they shouldn't. Everybody in here is imperfect. I'm your pastor. I love you guys. Most of you I even like. I like you all in your own way. No, I'm, in all seriousness, I love you guys, and I like you, and we're living life together. And I'll tell you this, I'm not perfect, and there's times I'll let you down. There's things, times I'll say things I shouldn't, times that I'm not as sensitive as I should be. Maybe sometime I should have been there and I wasn't there. I'm, I'm in desperate need of people's forgiveness. I'm in need of people to have grace with me. And it's an ongoing forgiveness. It's an ongoing grace. And it's one of those things that's part of the beauty of being a part of a family is that we extend grace to each other and we forgive one another and we, we continue doing life together. And as a church, we'll never have lasting unity if we can't be forgiving to one another. Aren't you glad that God is a forgiving God? And because God's a forgiving God, that's what allows us to be forgiving people. Because we're not living life just holding on to our own agenda. We're living God, life for God and His agenda. It's June. It's about to get hot outside. And so we're going to be spending some time by the pool. So let's just jump into the pool of forgiveness. Let's look at some scriptures that deal with God's forgiveness Nehemiah chapter 9, 17, they refused to listen and did not remember your wonders, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, 
slow to anger and rich in faithful love, and you did not abandon them. Psalm 86, 5, for you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, rich in faithful love to all who call on you. Psalm 134, but with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. Daniel 9, 9, compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him. Isaiah 1, 18, Come, let us discuss this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. Colossians 1.14, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm clean here. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, I've done things I shouldn't do, and I need your forgiveness. I need to be forgiving towards you as well. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't just speak the forgiveness, but he scrubs the sludge of our heart away. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad that we have a God who is forgiving? And because our God is forgiving, we too can be forgiving. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please? I'm going to read to you a pledge of unity. I'm not going to ask you to sign anything. I'm not going to ask you to, to, to move even from your seat. But I want you to hear this pledge of unity. And I want to ask you if this is the kind of person that you want to be here at your church. I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. I know there are no perfect pastors, staff, or other church members, but neither am I. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. One of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all I can in God's power to help keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. If you're a part of Murphy Road this morning and this is a pledge that you say, I I, want to be a a unifying church member, would you just lift your hand right where you are? Just lift your hand. I want to be a unifying church member. I want to bring unity to this place not division. Thank you so much. Let's stand together. Our heads are still bowed. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, one of the things that I am mindful today is that as we are a church family, there are families represented all throughout this room, and in many of those families, there is disunity. Lord, I'm mindful today that there are marriages in this room, some of which are hurting struggling, and they're longing to be brought together again in unity. Help us, Lord, to remember that we are a family. Help us, Lord, to have a clear message. Help us, Lord, to have hope. Lord, help us not to live in gossip. Help us, Lord, not to tear everybody down around us, but to be an encouragement. And Lord, please grant us a forgiving spirit. 
Help us, Lord, to be able to let go of the past and press towards the future. Help us, Lord, to realize that because you have forgiven us, that we can in turn forgive others. Because we have tasted of your grace, we can extend grace to others. And so, Lord, I pray for healing in families, healing in homes, healing in marriages. I pray, Lord, that you might bring unity to the people of Murphy Road. And I pray, Lord, that our unity might flow through the streets, into the schools, the businesses, into those baseball parks, into those um, uh, meetings, those community meetings. Lord, I just pray that we will be salt and light, making a difference in the world around us because we are united with one message of hope that is Jesus Christ. It's in Him that we pray. It's Him that we worship today. Amen.